following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. There's an expectation, I think, that God is, is working and moving, and, and I, don't, I don't want to say that flippantly. It's easy to kind of say these things, but it's my sense of this series in the uh, Sermon on the Mount that we're doing, and maybe, maybe unexpectedly in some ways, but as we've hit these first couple of Beatitudes, there's a sense that I have that God is maybe breaking, breaking us down a bit in a healthy way. Would that be right? Um, maybe breaking some things down that needed to be broken down, and, and, and I think then building something new. And, and I see that even in the way that Jesus teaches through these Beatitudes, breaking us down, poor in spirit, and then building something new, hungering and thirsting after righteousness. And I think he's doing that work among us. And so I want to ask you to be expectant. I want to ask you to be open. Uh, some of what we're talking about is, is heavy, and it's uncomfortable stuff, and it's difficult to hear. And often we don't even realize how hard our own hearts are when we hear these things. But can I just urge you and encourage you to be open to what the Spirit's doing through these times and to allow God to connect with you and speak to you and touch your heart, maybe in ways you're not expecting, maybe in surprising ways, because I think He's working. Uh, so we're going to carry on through the, through the Beatitudes. Uh, I don't really have a fancy introduction this morning, so I hope we're okay with that. We're just going to dive straight in. And that's kind of my sense of it, is we just need to be in the Word and just let God move and speak. I think He's got some, some things to say to us this morning and some work to do among us. So we're, we're working through these, these blessings that, God, that Jesus is, is speaking, uh, these blessings that describe what it means to be a disciple in the kingdom of heaven. And we're taking them in pairs, uh, and I'm trying to group them thematically as they kind of connect with each other. And so this morning, verse 5 and verse 7 of Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So let's talk about what meekness is all about. You don't hear that word much, do you? Meekness, it's kind of lost to us in our, in our vocabulary, and so we're kind of scraping at what it means. I think some of the time, when you, when you picture meekness, if you think about it at all, typically the, the connotation is that meekness equals weakness. Would that be fair to say? That we think of it as someone who's really timid, uh, a meek person. We kind of think of them as like a spineless, kind of insecure person who's not comfortable in their own skin. They don't know what they're all about, and they get walked over by everybody else. They get trampled on and exploited by other people. Uh, that tends to be our perception of meekness. So meekness, we kind of think about it uh, almost as a social disability, uh, as, as a limitation, as a weakness. But in Scripture, it's the opposite. Meekness is not associated with weakness in Scripture, meekness is associated with strength. And there's a, there's a deep paradox here. It's not a mark of the weak, it's a mark of the strong. And you can see that by looking a bit more closely at the word itself that Jesus uses. So he says, blessed are the meek. The word meek is the Greek word praus, and it had a few different connotations and, and meanings in different contexts. One of the ways that this word is used was the taming of an animal. It was the taming of a wild animal, like a horse, often used for taming a horse. So if you think of uh, a wild stallion, beautiful creature, majestic creature, but can't interact with human beings, it's too dangerous 
And so it's this majestic uh, species, but it's totally useless to human beings. Uh, a person couldn't ride a stallion while it was, while it was wild. Uh, we can't engage. We can't interact. But there is that journey of bringing that wild stallion to a place of meekness. In fact, the old English word for taming a horse was meeking, the meeking of a horse. Uh, and it comes from the same word. It's that idea of taking this wild animal and bringing it under control. So forming trust, forming a relationship, forming a connection, forming loyalty with this animal so that it trusts you and it will come to you. And, and eventually a person can ride this stallion and it can be brought to a place where it is placid and it's gentle and it's loyal and it's tame and the horse is broken in. That is a, that's a picture of what meekness looks like. And you wouldn't look at that stallion even as a tame horse, and say, well, that's weak. It's still got all of its strength, doesn't it? Still got the same power, the same strength, but now it's strength under control. Now it's strength that's brought into a loyalty to the person who's, who's tamed it. That is a picture of meekness. So if you think about your own life, we're all a bit like the wild stallion. You know, we've all got this wild nature. It's a selfish nature that you and I have. We are mentally selfish people, self-orientated people. And we're about self-preservation and self-gratification and self-obsession and self-indulgence. That's all of that wild stuff. That's that wild nature that we were born with. And it leads us to relate to other people in ways that are so unhealthy and ways that are so selfish. And, and I can see this in my life. You can see this in your life. We, we can push people out of the way to get, to get ahead. We can treat people as commodities rather than fully human beings, we can do passive aggressive, we can withdraw, we can ice people out, we can lose our temper and throw a tantrum when we don't get our way, all of those ways. We can be deceitful, we can be manipulative with people, all of that. That's, that's the wild nature. That's the wild stallion. That's the untamed, sinful, wild part of us. And what God desires, here's the journey of meekness, is bringing that wild nature and bringing it under the submission of the Holy Spirit and saying, God, I want you to create a heart of meekness within me. And I want you to tame that wild nature. I want you to tame that wild streak so that I am brought to a place where I can relate well to other people. And rather than pushing myself ahead, I'm willing to put others ahead of myself. That's basically what meekness is. It's a willingness to put others ahead of myself. It's, it's not being orientated towards self. It is being orientated towards the other. It is looking towards the other rather than the self. And here's the paradox of meekness, is that that comes from a place of real strength. This is why meekness is a mark of strength. It's not a mark of weakness. Anyone can lose their temper. Now, well, that's easy. Now, anyone can have a tantrum, right? Blow up at someone, act harshly, fire off a, a, an angry email. That's easy. That's just defaulting to type. That's just defaulting to who, we, that selfish, wild stallion nature. That's easy. That's weakness. Jesus would look at that and say, that's the, that's the weak person. We might think that that's strength. We might look at certain people and certain leaders that kind of have this domineering kind of personality. I used to work for a guy like this, and he was basically a bully, and he dominated the people that he worked with. And certain people might look at that and go, well, that's real strongman leadership. You know, there's someone who knows how to throw his weight around. That's real strength. Jesus would look at that and go, that is utter weakness. 
That is total weakness. Might not look like it, might not present like it, might be all tough on the outside, but that is, that is weakness because all you're doing is just defaulting to your own. You're just enslaved to your own selfishness. You're enslaved to your own ego, enslaved to his own temper, and probably masking a deep insecurity on the inside. That's weakness. But real strength is that willingness and that ability to say, I'm going to look to the other instead of myself. It takes strength to put someone else's needs, someone else's interests, someone else's desires and preferences ahead of your own. That's strength of character. That's the hard road, but that's meekness. It's easy just to blow up at someone, but it takes strength to hold that temper. It takes strength when you're angry at someone, when you're frustrated, when you want to react and you want to snap and you want to put something hostile out there on social media. It takes strength not to, to hold that. That's what meekness is. It's strength under control. It's easy just to stand up for your own rights. And get defensive. But it takes strength to yield your ground to someone else. That's the heart of meekness. A willingness to yield your ground. See the paradox? We think, oh, that's just someone who's kind of wishy-washy and they give way to other people and they don't stick up for their rights. No, sticking up for your rights, being defensive, just standing on your own sense of entitlement, that's easy. That's weakness. It takes great strength to say, I'm willing, I may not agree, but I'm willing for the sake of this relationship to, to go here or for the sake of this community to, to do this or to go with what you're wanting to do to put you first. That takes great strength of character. That is the person from a Christian perspective who is allowing the spirit free reign in their life. That's the heart of meekness. So there's a paradox there. It's strength, but it's strength under control. And you see this in the heart of Jesus. I think this is so important with the Beatitudes. What we're reading is a description of who Jesus was as much as anything. It's not just him telling us who we should be. Jesus himself embodied these characters. In fact, when Jesus talks about himself, you know, there's only in the Bible, in the Gospels, there's only two words that Jesus uses to describe his own heart. I mean, he says various things about himself various times, but there's only two words, only one passage in the Bible where Jesus talks about his own heart and he, and he strips away all the layers and he says, I'm going to show you my heart. I'm going to tell you who I am. And it's in Matthew 11. He says, come to me. Some of you know this passage. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am, do you know what the two words are? I am gentle and humble in heart. I am gentle and humble. It's the only time Jesus talks about his own heart. I am gentle and humble in heart. Now, the word gentle, guess what word it is? The same Greek word, praus, that you find in Matthew 5. It's exactly the same word that Jesus uses when he says, blessed are the meek. So Jesus is basically saying, take my yoke, learn from me because I am meek and humble in heart. That's who our Savior is. That's the very heart of Jesus. Is that, now, which one of us are going to say, well, Jesus was weak? That puts an end to the whole meekness, weakness thing right there, doesn't it? Because we're not going to say Jesus was weak. Jesus knew how to speak truth more than anyone, but he had a heart of meekness. He had a heart that was turned towards other people, not self-obsessed, not puffing himself up, not always just looking to his own interests, but always tuned in to where other people are at, always moving towards others with grace and with kindness and with love and looking out for the needs of people around him. Now, you might say, well, what about that time when he walked into the temple? 
What about the time when he overturned some tables and he drove out people in the temple with a whip? Some of you know that passage. What happened to meekness then? Put pause on meekness for five minutes while I go into the temple and sort a few people out and then we'll get going on the meekness again. Kind of sounds like that, right? I mean, it feels totally incompatible with meekness. I would suggest even then Jesus is showing us meekness. It seems so contradictory, but consider that scene. Jesus is not being reckless. He's not being impulsive. He's not being hot-headed. He's not being violent. He's certainly not hurting people. He's not just off the chain. He's not just out of control. In that moment, Jesus is perfectly controlled. He's still, in that moment, submitting to the Spirit and doing the will of the Father. It's a very purposeful act of showing symbolically how corrupt, how unfaithful Israel and the whole temple system had become. But there was purpose behind it. And it was done in a very measured and very controlled and very contained and purposeful way. So what we can take from that is that meekness doesn't mean you never get angry, right? Because if it was, Jesus could never say, I am meek and humble in heart. He got angry. And not not just that once, but several times. So meekness doesn't mean never getting angry, but it does mean getting angry at the right things, at the right times, for the right reasons, and to the right degree. So that at even times where we feel angry, and maybe we express it some way, even that anger is brought under God's control. And it's submitted to the Holy Spirit. It's not this reckless, off-the-chain, out-of-control kind of anger, but an anger that is very, very careful and in line with the things that make God angry and the way in which Jesus expressed his anger. And so we're called to a life of, a life of meekness. And I think it might be that maybe for some of you, the reason that you struggle with meekness is because you haven't yet experienced the meekness of Jesus in your life. And we can talk all day about what meekness looks like, but I think probably some of you are here. If your heart is hard, if you're just a hard-hearted, cold-hearted person, and you just are so used to just acting really harshly towards others, and you just have this prickliness about you, then I would say that maybe you have not yet really received the meekness of Jesus in your life. It's hard to be meek when we haven't really known the meekness of Jesus. And maybe for you, today is not so much about going out there and trying to be a meek person, but it's saying, Jesus, would you give me your heart of meekness? Would you, would you change? See, it's not, it's not just about how you live towards others. It is that. It is about the way you relate. But at a deeper level, it's saying, God, give me this heart. Give me your heart, Jesus. This is what God is wanting to do in us. We talked last week about hungering and thirsting. God's placing these new desires in our hearts. And then out of that, he's giving us a new heart towards others. As he shapes your heart towards him, he'll give you a new heart towards other people. And maybe it's you this morning just coming honestly before the Father and saying, God, give me this heart of meekness. And Jesus, help me to know your heart of meekness. Maybe for you, it's taking on the easy yoke of Jesus. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And maybe the reason you're struggling with this is not just because you're not trying hard enough. Maybe you are trying, but it's you've never really known the meekness of Jesus in your own life. And he's just simply saying to you this morning, come to me. Come to me. I will give you that rest. Just allow him to break into the hardness of your heart. 
with the power of his spirit and give you a soft, tender heart of flesh that is open and that is willing to rest in his grace. Let me just quickly, I had, I had some other notes on this, but I'm just going to move. I'm just going to mention two areas, all right? I'm not going to dwell on these, but just two areas where I think we need meekness, maybe more than any other area of our lives. Number one, in the middle of Auckland traffic. Enough said, right? We don't even need to labor the point. But in the middle of Auckland traffic, the traffic has gotten worse over the last however many months. When you are sitting in that bad traffic this week, you just think, what does it mean to have a heart of meekness? What does it mean to have that heart of meekness when that, that other guy comes down that lane that's empty and you know that lane's closing and he knows that lane's closing in 100 meters and then at the last second, he comes in, five cars in front of you. What does it mean to be meek in that moment? <laughs> does it mean pulling a gesture? Does it mean letting a few expletives out? Does it mean just crucifying him in your mind? Or does it mean something else? That heart of meekness that says, how can I have a gentle heart? How can I have a soft heart in that moment? How can I act with a little bit of kindness? Maybe even pray for that person. Who knows? But maybe not the gesture out the window. Maybe just a thumbs up and a sarcastic smile. Maybe that's all that's needed in the middle of Auckland traffic. Number two, we need meekness on social media. I think meekness is massively needed in that space. It is so easy. I mean, you know how easy it is when someone puts a post up and it just triggers something in you and you feel like that person has no idea what they're talking about. They are uninformed and they're uneducated and I can't believe that they've just sent this out to masses of people. They need to be taken to task. They need to be hauled over the coals and you just start on this sharply worded little response and you put that comment out there. What does it mean to have a heart of meekness in that moment? Christians can be the worst, the absolute worst. Man, you read some of the comment threads, even on Christian blogs like Christianity Today. It is just appalling. What Christians, the vitriol that Christians are capable of. I think if James the Apostle was here, he would say, my brothers and sisters, this should not be so. It should not be so. It's just a way of using the tongue, except we're using our fingers to type it, and it should not be the case. For Christian brothers and sisters, we've lost our way and we've lost the heart of meekness when we start doing that stuff. You know what I try and do? The number of emails that I have typed and not sent is a, a huge number. And I have found that it has served me well. Type it out, but don't hit send. Don't hit post. Just sleep on it. Sleep on it. And I've come back in the morning, I don't know how many times, and just softened that email a little bit. Because I have realized that that was done in the heat of the moment and with a spirit of anger and it did some of that stuff did not need to be said. There might be some stuff that still needs to be said. That's fine. There might be a point that needs to be made. But in the moment and when your emotions are raging and when you feel that anger, that is the worst time to send that response. So just sit on it and wait. Maybe you don't need to send a response at all, but maybe tomorrow it's going to look a little bit different. And maybe you'll be in a better place to inject a little bit of meekness. So we're called to be those who have the heart of meekness. And again, not just outward actions of meekness, but seek the heart. Seek the heart of the Savior, a heart of meekness. Jesus, give us your heart. And then Jesus says, the second beatitude we're looking at, blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. Again, the place to go to look at what these beatitudes look like in our lives is the life of Jesus. Because he lived it. So if you want to know, what does it mean to be merciful? What does it mean to be meek? Just look at the Gospels. Just read some of the stories of the life of Jesus. He's not telling us to do things that he himself did not do. 
Um, one story in Mark chapter 5. Some of you will be familiar with the story of Jesus healing the guy with the legion of demons. Some of you know this. Thousands and thousands of demons. And Jesus heals the guy. And then at the end of the story, the guy says to Jesus, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, you stay. You go and tell others what I've done for you. Go and tell your own people what I've done and how the Lord has shown you mercy. So he uses that word, mercy, to describe what he has done for this man. And you think about what Jesus did in that story and you start you start to get a picture of what mercy looks like in action. Jesus heals that man physically, but he does a lot more. He heals the man's mind. He heals his spirit. He heals him mentally and emotionally. The man was basically going insane because of that affliction. He heals his physical body, the man was bedraggled. He was walking among the tombs. His whole life was a mess. He heals the man relationally. He's restored. He's restored to his community. Every dimension of this man's life is redeemed and restored by Jesus. That's mercy. Mercy is moving with compassion towards those in need. Mercy is bringing restoration to any and every area of a person's life. It may be more practical. It may be spiritually focused. It may be a relational focus. But it's merciful if it moves towards need. And again, this comes out of Jesus' work in our lives. The reason that we're called to be merciful is because we have been shown such abundant mercy by God. That's the parable of the unmerciful, unmerciful servant. This guy that has a truckload of debt, just mountains of debt. And the person who he owes the money to lets him off, forgives the debt, releases him from the debt. And then he goes out, you know the story, he goes out and he finds a guy who just owes him a couple of bucks. And he throws him in prison because he cannot repay it. And he says, you'll stay in prison, you'll rot in prison until you pay me every last cent. There is someone who does not know what it is to show mercy because he has not truly appreciated the mercy that he's been shown. This is where these Beatitudes connect. You come right back to the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Until you've known what it means to be poor in spirit, you will not know what it means to show mercy. You might be a good humanitarian, but truly being merciful means first recognizing how much mercy we've been shown by the Father. That we are those ones who had a mountain of debt. Debt beyond what we could possibly ever think or conceive of repaying. But God in his infinite grace has released us from that. He's wiped it, wiped the slate clean. In fact, he's done more than that, hasn't he? He's given us the riches of Jesus. He's poured the riches of heaven into our account. And now he says to us, okay, out of all of that, out of my mercy in your life, I want you to go and show just a fraction of that to someone else. I want you to go and find those around you and show something of the mercy that I've shown to others. But if you haven't known that mercy in your life, or you're not deeply aware of and appreciating that, mercy is not going to come naturally to you. The more aware we are of the grace of God, the more, the, the more poor in spirit we are, the more that we can mourn over our sin, the more we hunger and thirst for righteousness, mercy will start to flow. It will become more natural for you to move towards people in need, not to judge them, not to criticize them, not to trample them down even further, but to show the love of God in their lives. And Jesus doesn't qualify this, does he? He doesn't tell us who we are supposed to show mercy to. He doesn't tell us how to show mercy. So I think we want to interpret that as broadly as we can, that it's to anyone. It is to anyone and everyone that we come across. And it looks 
like a million different things. And we've seen it, haven't we, like in the last few weeks, in the aftermath of the cyclone, in the aftermath of the flooding. We've seen acts of mercy after act of mercy after act of mercy. We see it and we hear all sorts of stories around the country. I think in general, Kiwis are quite good at helping their neighbors, aren't they? We've got a neighborly kind of spirit. We're willing, we're quick to respond and help each other out. And there's been tons of stories coming out. But as Christians, it comes from a deeper well. As Christians, this is part of following the heart and having the heart of Jesus. It's not just about being a good citizen, not just about being a good neighbor, not just about being a good humanitarian. It may be all of those things, but this is about walking in the way of the kingdom. This is about serving and reaching people in Jesus' name. And we bring the presence of Jesus into those spaces. We bring something of his presence. We bring something of his love. We bring something of his light. And so it's been wonderful to hear some of the stories that are coming out of our church family over the last little while. Uh, Malcolm Savage has been working at the uh, civil defense shelters that have been set up on the North Shore, doing overnight shifts and being there just to serve people, to help people, to relate to people, to get alongside people. He was telling me of one guy that the situation was getting a bit tense and a bit agitated and was starting to escalate. And Malcolm was able just to sit down with him and say, just tell me your story and just listening. And just letting this guy talk through the trauma that he and his family had experienced. These are people that have been displaced, you know, out of their homes. And just through listening and just being present with him helped to de-escalate that situation. That's mercy. That's just everyday mercy. Jill Shaw in our church has been out at Piha this week. Just being available to talk and relate and to be with people out there who are just struggling and reeling from all the devastation out on the West Coast. And I was texting her during the week, and she said people are just broken. Her hurt is, is massive. But she's set, us up at, set herself up out there, and she's stayed there, I think, for, for several days, and has just been with people and just been among people. She's incarnating mercy. And it's not just those examples. There's a whole lot of others. You know, I know there have been people that have helped friends and helped neighbors and just moved towards wherever the needs are, wherever people are, are needy, wherever you can help people moving into those spaces, and sometimes just being there, and sometimes just relating. Sometimes there's nothing practically that needs to be done other than just being present in the life of another person. And so can I just encourage you again to seek the heart of the Savior for mercy, and just to say, Jesus, give me your heart of mercy. Don't just make me do merciful things, but give me your heart of mercy. Jesus, when he saw people in need, the Bible says he felt something. He felt compassion for them. And this is what we need to seek from God. Is that yes, we need to walk out. And yes, we need to step out. But we're also seeking God to give us a heart of mercy. That when we see those needs, our hearts break. And that drives us to respond. And it drives us to engage. And it drives us to make these things practical. Jesus, we seek your heart of mercy. And so as we live out in the way of meekness and we walk out the way of mercy, then we start to live into those promises. You know, each of these beatitudes we've talked about have a promise that, that attaches to them. Blessed are the meek, for they will, what? Inherit the earth. It's an interesting promise, isn't it? They'll inherit the earth. And I think what Jesus is saying there is the meek are the ones in this life. Meekness will always take a sacrifice. It will always cost something. It will cost sometimes our, our, our time or just our our own sense of needing to be right or having our way. But Jesus is saying, in the end, the meek will inherit everything. In the end, you get it all back. 
We lay down our lives in the prison. We give our lives away. Jesus says, whoever wants to lose his life, who's willing to lose his life, will gain it. We give our lives away and we receive them all back again in the new creation. When Jesus returns, the new heavens and the new earth and the kingdom of God, it's the meek who will inherit everything. It's the ones who have, it's cost them everything in this life. It's cost them something. They've been willing to look to the other rather than themselves. In the end, they'll get it all back again in the kingdom of God. And then blessed are the merciful for they will what? Receive mercy. And it sounds like maybe Jesus is saying God's mercy is conditional on us showing mercy to other people. I don't think that's what he's saying. It's not that God waits to show us mercy until we've been merciful for others. But I think he is saying that when we walk in mercy, we are giving evidence of God's mercy in our lives. When we're willing to walk out the way of mercy, we are demonstrating that we have received it. That's, that's the greatest proof that we can give, the fruit of our lives, that we have indeed received the mercy of God. So Jesus is really saying there's just one, it's one continual movement from God and his mercy flows into your life and then it flows out through your life into the lives of other people. And as we show mercy to others, we are witnessing to the mercy that we ourselves have received from God. There's a, um, a columnist for the New York Times. I forget his name now, but um, he wrote a book called The Second Mountain. And he, he gives this image of our lives really being made up of two mountains that we can climb. And he says most people, they only ever climb the first mountain. In fact, that's, that's the only mountain most of us think exists. And it's the mountain of personal success and personal happiness and personal accomplishment. It's really the mountain that's all about me. It's the mountain where we seek what the world tells us to seek. And we go after what everyone else is going after. And we make our lives about what the rest of the world wants to make their lives around. And we seek some kind of accolades or maybe it's reputation or some form of power or just a comfortable, convenient lifestyle. That's the first mountain. And he says a lot of people get to the point where they they realize that mountain's not all there is. Maybe they get to the top and they realize actually that's pretty unsatisfying. Some people fall off that mountain halfway. Some people start and then realize they're never going to make it to the top. And he says in that moment, some people realize there's a second mountain. And that's the mountain that we were created to climb. And that mountain is not about self. That mountain is about others. That mountain is about turning our lives outward towards others. He says it doesn't necessarily mean people radically change their career, their job, their vocation, but who they are is different now. What they're living for is different now. Their whole disposition in life is different. It's just not all about self. Now it's about others. It's that second mountain that Jesus is talking about in the Beatitudes. Now he, would, he uses different language. Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, not the mountain, but it's the same idea is moving our hearts just from a pure focus on me and my life or even my immediate family to others beyond myself. Because God has taken notice of me, I'm going to start taking notice of others. Our world is so much about the self. It is so about self-centeredness, self-obsession, self-promotion, self-sufficiency, and self-gratification. I think most of us have no idea how much we've just absorbed that and been conditioned by it. And our minds and hearts are just full of that. 
And yet the world needs to see something different from the church. The world needs to see something different from Christians. The world needs to see people who are willing to say, in the midst of a culture that is all about selfishness, I'm going to swim upstream from that. And I'm going to seek the heart of Jesus. And I'm going to seek to walk in the way of the kingdom. And I'm going to seek the way of meekness. And I'm going to seek the way of mercy. And yes, it will come at a cost. Because yes, there'll be times that you don't get your way. And yes, there'll be times that you don't get the last word. And yes, there'll be times when you have to live with a sense of injustice because they got away with it. Or they'll never know. Or someone needs to tell that person what's going on. And you have to live with the fact that justice is not yours to serve. You're not called to justice. Jesus dealt with justice on the cross. You are called to the way of mercy. You are called to the way of meekness. You follow the way of the Savior and you let God take care of justice. May we walk in meekness. May we walk in mercy. But more than that, may we seek that heart. This is a deep work that God's wanting to do. Seek the heart of the Savior, a heart of meekness, a heart of mercy, and let him work that heart in you as you receive the meekness of Jesus, the mercy of Jesus, and you hear him say to you, come to me, take my yoke. It's easy, it's light, and you'll find rest for your souls. That's where meekness and mercy flow out of, a soul that has truly found its rest in the presence of Jesus. Let me pray for you, my friends. Lord Jesus, we just want to invite you now to come and move among us and press your word on our hearts. God, you see every heart. You see every life. You see the ones that are open this morning and you see the ones that are really closed. Jesus, I pray that you would come and do the work that you want to do deeply in our hearts. Do something real in our lives, God. There are some here. There are some here, God, who are genuinely seeking your heart this morning. I pray you would answer their prayers. I pray you would hear their hearts cry to the the souls that are really crying out to you here, Jesus. The ones who are saying, I'm hungry. The ones who are saying, Jesus, create in me a clean heart. God, hear their prayers. God, change, bring renewal and bring transformation. Jesus, where there's, where there's stuff in our lives and we haven't let you, let you deal with that yet, God, bring an openness. Bring an openness of spirit to just lay our lives bare before you. And Jesus, we do this now and just invite you to come. And We just want to receive your meekness. We want to receive your mercy, God. We can't show it until we've received it. And so, God, again this morning, we're just seeking you. Thank you for your heart of mercy that you have dealt with us so gently that you're not, you're not repulsed by us. You're not ashamed of us. You're not turned away, but you're drawn to us. And even our very sinfulness, God, in some way, in some strange way, it, it draws you to us because you see our need and you see our desperation and you reach down and you lift us up. And so God, for, for every heart here this morning who needs you and is crying out to you and is open to you and just in this moment is just silently longing for your presence. Would you just come and and bring freedom and fill them afresh and give them your heart of meekness.
your heart of mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for all the ways that you're working among us, just gradually shaping and molding and transforming. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources or to donate to our teaching resource ministry or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.